This is the Beyond Belief Sobriety Podcast, where we examine topics of interest to people who seek a secular path to recovery from addictions of all kinds. Today, I'm going to be speaking with Mark Holmes. Mark is the author of Holmes' Complete Guide to Stop Drinking Alcohol, The Easy, Mindful, and Pain-Free Way. He is also the CEO of the Addiction Help Agency, located in London, England. Uh, I really look forward to speaking with him and learning about how he came to where he's at today and what he's doing to help people who are suffering from addiction to alcohol. Welcome, Mark, to Beyond Belief Sobriety. It's so nice to have you here. Oh, it's great to be here. Good. Well, you know, I like to start uh, just to get to know you a little bit, uh, if you wouldn't mind giving us a little bit of background uh, about your relationship with alcohol and how you got to where you eventually wrote this book and got involved with the um, agency. Yeah, sure. Well, um, first of all, I suppose, you know, I've, I've got to got to put my hands up and say, um, I, I've, I was quite a long career in, in drinking as an alcoholic. Um, I think it was about 30 years. Um, so it started pretty late in my sort of late teenage years. Um, so I wasn't a sort of a, a, a young teenage drinker, an adolescent drinker. Um, I sort of had my first drink at the legal age in England, um, which is 18. Um and I, I write about it in, in the book because I refer to it and say, um, you know, my first sip of the, the beer was weird. And I, I, I kind of didn't really know what it was meant to taste like that because it tasted so bad. Um, and it was confusing to me. Um, and I actually asked my friends, to, can you check this? Yeah. Check the taste right. Because I don't think this is, this can't be what I've been watching <laughs> on TV and in the commercials, you know. Um, this can't be the same stuff. They must have made a mistake. So, you know, I, I think it's inevitable, in fact, that people end up trying alcohol at uh, at the legal age or 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 not. You know, um, even before that. I mean, you made a very interesting point um, in a, in in a podcast a few podcasts ago about. Uh, drinking being in a kind of adolescent disease, I think you yeah, called it. Yeah, a disease which of the is adolescent. fascinating. You know, um, because I can I can sort of relate to that um, because although I, I sort of had my drink, my first drink in a pub at eighteen, um, after that I kind of found I was kind of leaning on it a bit as a crutch, I think, and that kind of increased. You know, and then so I can very much relate to that sort of that, that expression. Um, I follow in my book. I follow through the stages of my career, um, my drinking career, from sort of uh, I call it the morning of my life, from sort of naught to uh, twenty four, so up through the years of, of university. And and I found some quite you know surprising research, in fact, on on why people drink at university and college, um, and it's very much for for kind of a positive emotional reason they want to gain um you know a, a positive effect um and there's a lot of peer pressure a lot of social influences at play so is it drinking to is it drinking to um socialize you to to get into to make friends and yes absolutely sorry john yeah that's absolutely right um it's it's to fit in um isn't it strange isn't it it's strange that you know that to, to fit in to be be normal i've got to um 
drink this poison stuff. Um, I find it bizarre. But this is very common. And in fact, um, the research that was done at a British university um, was looking at, uh, you know, the fact that people, you know, what excuses did people have to give for, for, for not drinking? Um, because it was such an accepted part of, of the, you know, the ex- expectation that, you know, you're not going to have friends if, if, you, if you don't drink. It's still that way as an adult sometimes. I, ha- I had an experience at work uh, not that long ago, a few years ago, where I was at a, a work function where people were drinking. And there was one particular guy who happened to be my boss at the time who was just shocked and annoyed that I wasn't drinking. Why in the hell was I not drinking alcohol? You know, and so <laughs> you are a bit strange, John. I'm sorry, mate. I mean, I love your show, but no. But seriously, that that yeah. I mean, it's 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 amazing. Um, but the research was showing that people who who actually had a a positive self esteem um, were 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 less inclined to be to be lonely at their end of their their first year of college. Um, and that was a much better indicator of, uh, you know, making friends. And um, so the people with good self-esteem didn't necessarily need to rely on alcohol to socialize and make friends. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. That's the basic idea. So it, it, it's, so when I was thinking about my time at, at uni, um, that was one of my key things I think was, was, was to be part of the crowd, you know? Um, and I talk about that in the book about going on these pub crawls. I don't know, Missouri, John. Yeah, we have pub crawls here. I don't know if they call, they don't call them pubs, but we have a, we have a wagon where people, um, pedal around from one place to the next to drink. Uh, right. We don't have that. It sounds pretty much the same thing. Um, but I write about that because it was it was a bizarre notion. And in fact, um, about the time I was at university, the government brought the the drinking um, age. Uh, sorry, not the drinking age. Hours they increased the opening hours during the day, so it's possible for for students of my age to um, an era. I was sort of mid. Uh, X generation, generation X. Um, it was possible for us to go drinking in the afternoon, um, which again it beggars belief. Why would the government want to do that? Um, but anyway, um, this was very much part of my university culture, so it became something that I would um, lean on as a crutch. Um, you know, if I was feeling lonely, and it was something that I'd also use to to sort of try and enhance my mood, and you know be more of the life and soul of the party um i guess you could say at uni and and to fit in and be accepted um and isn't that and i just i mean looking back on that it was a bit scary to think how easily um yeah i kind of accepted this kind of enculturation if you like um this is the way it's done you know i don't know any better um and so then we, we, we go from a situation, so that I call that the morning of my life, uh, from 0 to 24. Then I'm going into my professional life then, John, from 25 um, up until my 40s. And in, in my professional life, then it becomes a different, a, a totally different habit. And what interested me is that these sort of different stages of your life, you know, if you, you separate them by, you know, sort of 
don't they say in the Bible three score and ten? I know this is a. a it's okay. You uh, can talk about. You can make biblical but, references. We we won't be offended. <laughs> <laughs> but but you know, twenty four. I I use the kind of every twenty four years. There's a phase of your life. And the, the reasons why you drink are different in those different phases. That's what I was kind of um, curious to, to kind of observe, at least for my life. And so my professional life, um, there were different reasons for drinking. And in fact, the research supports that, that you're not really doing it as much for peer or social pressure, um, but you're doing it more to relieve a negative emotional state. Yeah, that so, makes sense. You know, For my own personal experience, that makes sense. sense. Yeah. It does. Mm-hmm. So, you know, if you've got stress at work, I mean, if you remember when you're, when I left college, and I'm right about this in the book as well, is I was under enormous financial pressure, you know, with student loans. I didn't get any, um, you know, I came from a you know, sort of, I won't say poor, but kind of lower working class background, um, quite normal, nothing special. And I, I had to pay my own way through school and, and always, you know, um, support myself in that respect. So I was doing bar jobs, you know, in fact, I was doing bar jobs before it was legal to drink. Um, so, but I don't think that, that, that is too relevant because I don't think that had an influence on me drinking at 18. I think that was more just the way society was where I was in London. Um, but yeah, so anyway, so I'm saying the professional, as a professional, I, I trained as a teacher, um, and a teacher of business studies. That was, a, you know, school teacher, lecturer um so i was uh you know teaching mostly college age kids um you know a variety of business courses and yeah i found the pressure there at, at when i started my career i wasn't earning very much money and I, i'm sure that's pretty much the same around the world so you've got these huge debts you know on one side you haven't got much money coming in the other side you're still young enough to think um you know, you that that in a way that you know you have to treat all these things, I suppose, with a sort of a great deal of respect and earnestness and um, conscientiousness. And I'm not saying any of those things are wrong, um, but what I'm saying is, um, you you really have a limited life school set, and that's really not I'm, I'm desperately trying not to be patronizing but it sounds a little bit patronizing i know but what i mean is that your your life skill set is is less when you're in your, your your sort of 20s than it is in your 30s than it is in your 40s right in fact in your in your in your early 20s your brain is still kind of developing isn't it well, that's correct yeah it's that's a very good point um you know there's neural plasticity up until 25 so you're literally your brain is still growing so, you know, if I was drinking from 18 to 25 in that morning of my life, um, that's doing incredible damage. Um, and I, I mean, I think I've had some sort of, you know, definitely I've had some sort of brain damage um, from from 30 years of drinking. I think that, that hopefully, um, I don't know, I think I'm jumping ahead of the game there. But I, I, I think that, <laughs> getting to the, the punchline, um, but I definitely think, I mean, the, the if, you know, the, the, the consequences of drinking alcohol are so severe. Um, and, you know, they don't, you don't realize happening, do you, you know, over time and what those, those effects can be. Um, and it's a various range of, um, you know, sort of emotional um, outpourings, outbursts. Um, but, you know, I'm happy to talk about that. Um, 
down the path, or if you want, so I can expand on. That. Um, but definitely, you know, your your alcohol does affect the the, the structure of your, of your brain and um, your thinking, your emotions. Um, and I think that's very relevant, even this afternoon of my life in my my professional years, um, because it's having an influence um, outside of when you're actually drinking. So you, you, you kind of have the idea when you, well, I had the idea when I was younger that, um, you know, basically I'm doing my, I'm working hard, playing hard, John. That's what I'm doing. I'm, you know, really working hard in the college. Then I'm going to get wasted and party like, you know, it, it was the nineties and, um, you know, party like it was 1999. I mean, it was all it seemed to be really the cool thing to do. And, you know, yes, I'm, I'm kind of re- making a sort of musical reference, uh, cultural reference to times, because I think that's, you can't see anything outside, you know, without context. And I think we should all think about our drinking stories in the context um, that they happen, um, you know, and the time period and the influences around us and the socialization and the working conditions and our, um, you know, our emotional family, personal lives. So it doesn't all happen. Nothing happens in isolation. It's not just drinking. Um, I think that's important. Um, so yeah, for, for, for me that, that it, what you find is that you you have different effects happening. Um, and I relate this in my book to the idea of the tide coming in and out, you know, um, because when I was working in my first college, I was working by the sea in Western Supermare. Um, and, you know, I, I could I see the analogy of, of you know, in the evening, the tide's coming in, I'm in the pub, I'm drinking, and then, you know, overnight the tide goes out, and in the morning I'm parched, dry as the sand, um, and I'm, you know, <laughs> oh, it's, it's not a good mood. I'm really, st- I'm even more stressed. I don't know why I'm more stressed. I know why I'm more stressed, because I've got no orange juice or yogurt drink or whatever else I use as my technique for solving the evening's problem of the night before. Um, and I've got all these strategies in my head, you know. So what's happening is gradually this tide is coming in and coming out and coming in and coming out without me realizing that I'm moving from an occasional drinker at college, you know, at the events, at the clubs, at the parties, now to becoming a habitual drinker. So this is the kind of process that my life is is, is kind of going through, if that makes sense. It makes perfect sense. Uh, you know, and and so before I know it, the, I'm I'm now rationalizing, John, why that is necessary. Because I'm not an idiot, am I? Come on, I'm, you know, I'm very smart. I've done my degree. Um I'm a, I'm a professor in a college, so I must be pretty clever. So there must be a good rational reason for what I'm doing. And obviously there's not, you know, there's not at all. There's no, there's no rational reason for drinking alcohol. There's no rational reason to, to kind of slowly kill yourself. Yeah. You point out it is a poison. Well, it absolutely is a poison. I mean, I consider myself a former ethanol drinker. I don't say I'm an alcoholic. Um, you know, I, I call it what it is. It's ethanol. And, you know, I, I go into the book about, you know, what, what's the you know, chemical formulation for this and it's, you know, and how, how much of it can kill you. Um, you know, so <laughs> it's, it's not the, what you see in the commercials. Uh, you mentioned the example of Amy Winehouse who, and her death was completely alcohol related. 
Yeah, absolutely. I mean, this the shocking thing is is the the level of um, the alcohol content in her blood. The blood alcohol content is something that um, you know we we commonly know it from measuring the alcohol in our blood if 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 we're having a breathalyzer. Um, but you know, there's I've put charts in the book where you can see what will be the the blood alcohol concentrations compared to the different number of drinks you have. So, you know, the, the chart will show you, you know, if you have, um, you know, one or two drinks, um, this will be your blood alcohol concentration. And if you have 10 drinks, this will be your blood alcohol concentration. And then it will have certain physiological effects. So, you know, for each level of drinking, each level of blood alcohol content, then you'll have a different physiological effect, including, you know, at the extreme end, um, death, possible death. Um, and this is not this is not me making it up, you know. Um, I say at the beginning of the book, you know, there's there's no point in me telling you, you know, the scare stories, um, because you know we all know it's going to do our liver in. We all know, you know, we all know those kind of, you know, possibly get um, cancer, um, you know, all these things. So I wasn't doing it for that purpose. What I was doing it for was to try and indicate that that when you have this substance, it's going to have a certain physiological um, and that will have effects on, on you know, neurologically, um, emotionally, and um, behaviorally. So, uh, I, I mean, I find that quite, quite interesting because your behavior is to be different when you've had a few drinks. And research has actually proven that. Um, you know, it, it, well, we all know it, but to see the research that proves that, you know, we actually lose our inhibitions and, you know, it's fascinating when people say, um, oh yeah, but I want to really lose my inhibitions. I really want, you know, I speak not having any inhibitions, right? I could just do anything I want, but actually that is, um, it, you know, <laughs> that's not a good of, idea, is of, it? Of, of sort of <laughs> mental illness. Right, is having no in right, right. You know, having inhibitory, <laughs> it's not a good idea. Inhibitory control is essential for adult functioning right. in human life. As we know, inhibitions right? might be healthy. <laughs> they are very healthy, right? You can't do without them. You won't succeed. You won't be able to tolerate, you know, doing something you don't enjoy doing for five minutes without it. Um, so the fact of removing inhibitions, I mean, in fact, that's one of the characteristics of ADHD. You know, and, and we've got some, some kids on, on drugs, you know, as, as a teacher. I mean, this is very concerning um, because of, of that condition, not being able to control your inhibitions. And yet, you know, somehow the irony is that, you know, people kind of twist. I think any, when you're an alcoholic, um, you, anything is twisted in your rationale to make sense of it because you can't you whatever you know you you <laughs> you have to make sense of it because you're not an addict are you you know you, i'm not an addict how can i be an addict do i look i've got a successful career so you know moving on with the story sorry i keep on getting distracted on my little tangents but you know i in my 30s i i, I was doing very well in you know, I rose up to head of department, um, and then assistant principal, um, and the curriculum manager. Um, so I, I mean, I was doing very well in my career for ten years, um, and then I went overseas, 
and I led schools in in, in Southeast Asia, in um, in Spain, in 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 Latin America. So you know, I had a very successful international leadership career in in education, um, and at the time, I thought it was perfectly rational and perfectly reasonable you know to work all the hours god gave um uh and then relax hard um with my whatever my chosen uh poison of choice was that day so it could have been wine it could have been beer it could have been whiskey it could have been whiskey and beer it could have been cider it and the the combinations were you know, um, it was almost an art form, in fact, of it became, you know, of, of because obviously as you could become more successful, um, you become, you know, more able to afford drink. And so, you know, your your income, then you're, okay, well, I'll have a more expensive bottle of wine um, or I'll uh, – can you have a more expensive? You can actually have more expensive beer. Yeah, you can actually buy this really. They, they, today, yes, nowadays, I'm they really sorry. have expensive beer. I was beer. thinking, can you do that? Can you buy expensive beer? Yes, you can. They have some fancy I beers now. I did. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> you know, and you've got champagne. And then, and the funny thing is, is, is that everyone thinks, well, not everyone. I don't know. I'm sorry. I'm generalizing there. But I do suspect that perhaps um, people have uh, kind of this illusion that, uh, that people who are alcoholics, um, you know, aren't very successful. And, you know, they've got this kind of very stereotypical view of the drunk in the gutter. It's amazing that that stereotype has carried on all these years. I mean, we still have not dispensed of that stereotype. And it's totally wrong. You know, the people that are alcoholics are very successful, um, tend to be middle-aged, um, and they're, you know, very strong. People think they're weak-willed. They're very strong-willed. They wouldn't be successful if they were weak-willed. You know, these people have got strong willpower. Um, otherwise, they wouldn't be successful in their career. Tend to be higher-income earners. We look at income profiles. We look at, um, you know, demographic profiles in the book. Um, and it's 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 fascinating that this this stereotypes are wrong. Yeah. It's interesting about the willpower too. Think about how much willpower it takes just to be an addict and get through your life. You know, it takes a, a tremendous amount of willpower to do that. So, yeah. No, you're absolutely right. Yeah, you got there's no problem with willpower. Uh, you know, in 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 if you're uh you know, the the, the problem is, I tell you what, the problem is um is is understanding uh the, the way we think about drink um i could i would uh john i were using willpower and i'm very very you know confident you know i've led you know hundreds of staff and stood up in front of thousands of um you know in an audience um and uh, you know so it's not you know um i'm not quickly to uh to feel so insecure and, and shed tears but when i was trying to quit with willpower i can tell you i used to walk until my legs ached and i'd come home in in literally you know in, in tears pouring down my face um because i i just i was struggling so hard yeah 
it doesn't work to stop. Now you're right. No, the, the, the will, no matter how, you know, I could will myself to drag myself into the office, um, with the worst kind of a hangover, you know, I could go through all kinds of effort to get a drink and all sorts of will. But when it came to stopping it, it, that, that, that tremendous amount of will was not any use for me. And I don't, and I, and I, and I, I just think that's the nature of addiction. Yeah, I think that's true. And I, it's so sad. And it's, it's, you know, when you've actually, well, you know, obviously, you know, you know what I'm talking about. And, and I'm sure many of our listeners here do as well. It's, it's incredibly um, painful and it's repeated. And it's an, it's like, it's a regular, it can be, can become, a, I shouldn't love. I'm not loving. I mean, I've, I tried to quit many times and it was the most painful thing I think I've ever done in my life. Um, you know, people do, what do they do there? You know, October dry month, um, or they do a January dry month. And then if they do that, they feel, um, you know, that they, they, they're on top of it, but anyone who's questioning, are they on top of it? Or if anyone's listening to the show to, today and, and thinking, am I or not? Or am I? Or maybe I'm not. Or maybe I am. If, any, if, you're, if you're asking yourself that question, um, I think there's a reason why you're asking the question. I agree. I've always thought that, you know, um, and especially when I was looking back at my own, that time before I got help. And there would always be those moments when I would question, do I have a problem? Is this really a problem? Is my boss right? Is my brother right? And then I would dismiss those out of my head. But if you can ever just stop and think, wait a second, does someone who doesn't have a problem have to sit and wonder if they have a problem? I don't think they do. I don't think they do. <laughs> I think you're right. There. So I, I, mean, I guess it doesn't mean that you necessarily have the problem, but if you, it, you it's necessarily, there must be some th- something to look at if you're sitting there pondering whether or not it's a problem. <laughs> <laughs> and, and, and maybe you need an expert to kind of take a look at it. <laughs> You're right. You, you don't need an awful lot of training to see that one, but it's, it's true, but it's still, it's still, um, it's, it's part of this. It's kind of part of this, you know, rationalization in your head that you, you're, you're kind of consciously trying to rationalize an insane thing. And, um, and you've got to almost split yourself up from yourself you know, kind of look down on yourself and say, right, you know, who's doing what they're doing, you know, step outside yourself somehow and see what you're doing. It's really hard. You know, I kind of thought I saw it. I'm a bit of a Trekkie, John. And, um, I hope people will forgive me that, but, um, I, I remember an episode of, of, of Star Trek where, um, you know, Captain Kirk was, you know, suddenly become lost control of, you know, of himself, of who he was and you know didn't know he was himself um you know and, it's, and he starts slapping himself over the face and, <laughs> and you're like now you you may laugh right but i was like 14 year old kid at the time going oh my god you know this is the worst thing i mean you've lost control of yourself and i'm, I'm i can't help thinking that the analogy might be quite apt for my life you know um did i lose control of of who i was you know and in all seriousness you know that that was, I think I did. I think I couldn't see, you know, see, see, see out of my own eyes in a way. Um, and I couldn't see what I was doing. And I had to kind of somehow 
you know, sort of jump in and, and break that kind of break the loop, break that kind of connection. Um, and that's re- that's the thing. And it's kind of self-awareness, isn't it? I mean, it's really being honest with yourself, kind of painfully honest. Um, and it happens in different ways from different people. I mean, I talk about the stages of life, you know, I mean, it can happen. You can realize that, you know, I wish I'd realized it in my twenties, you know, or you can happen in the afternoon of your life or, or, you know, for me, it was the evening. So I think it's possible, Mark, to help somebody make that honest assessment of themselves. Is it possible to, or does it just, is this something that just has to happen? Like they say, you must hit bottom or is this something that maybe someone who is trained with therapy can actually help someone arrive to that conclusion? Yeah. I mean, yeah, that, that basically it's, um, I mean, that's what worked for me in the end. Um, it was uh, cognitive behavioral therapy. Um, and it's, the, the, the kind of uh, the simple way of, th- of putting it really is, is if you are doing something that is causing you, you know, your life pain and, and suffering, what is making you do that? What, there must be something wrong with your thinking. You know, you're, you're thinking wrong. So what the way you're thinking it is not rational. So, the, the, you know, there's the way you call the way cognitive behavioral therapy works is that, there it's trying to work out what is causing you to think the way you do. So, you know, you, if you're having any kind of negative automatic thoughts, for example, um, which I think are very common when, when people are addicted to alcohol, they can kind of, um, you know, kind of look at things and say, Oh, everything's bad or this is much worse. They exaggerate, magnify things. Um, you know, um, and 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 the, and the way of thinking, or they have to do everything right. I mean, for me, it was I. Have, I'm a bit of a perfectionist. I have to, you know, I have to turn this school around. I have to ensure these results are all, all you know, um, a to a to c's of eighty five percent. And um, you know that. But these things, these ways of thinking, um, are not are not necessarily healthy ways of thinking. Um, and John Cleese wrote a book, very good book. I mean, I, I do a lot of, there's a lot of references in my book. Um, and most of them are academic, uh, I'd say 90%, but this, yeah, the book is very well sourced, very well sourced, isn't it? Oh, thank you. Thank you so much. Well, I, I really tried because I thought, you know, people don't really want my opinions, but they might be interested in the opinions of people who've, who've done research, you know? So there's like 300 academic references because I want, I want in their words, their quotes, this is what they said. And you decide, you know? Yeah, your background in education probably is what inspired inspired you to make sure that you had, you know, good sources to back up everything that you had to say, you know, uh, the science behind what you were writing about. That's it. I, that's, I didn't think of that, John. But yeah, I think you're right. I mean, like, I, I've always tried, you know, my, as a teacher, you try and you know, you're trying to get what's the, what's the kind of clearest way of getting this thing across? What, what's the, bring it down to the basics. You know, what is this guy saying, this scientist? And when I was looking at the research, um, I was really, it was, I was really lucky in a way. It sounds a bit ironic, but I was lucky because I could say, is this relevant? You know, you wouldn't believe how much research there is. I mean, you could feel I don't know, <laughs> New York library with the amount of research there is on alcohol, um, just on, the, just on alcohol. And, and, 
it's reams and reams. But what I was able to do is filter it and say, look, would this be applicable in your in your early years of your 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 you know teenage years? Would this be applicable in your working life or when you're in your middle years? Would that be relevant? Um, at this stage. And so I kind of had the filter that I've gone through those things um, and could hopefully um, shed some light on that. Sorry, I think I've gone off on a bit of a long oh, tangent. Oh, no, very there. interesting. <laughs> um, but... So was it through therapy that you realized that you had a problem and needed help? Is that, was it was it cognitive behavioral therapy that got you to even get to that point? Well, I mean, I, I thought I, it was impossible I, uh, for me to give up, John, I just thought it's, it's impossible because the pain of the withdrawal makes you think that you're not the pain. Excuse me. I've got to be very careful here. It's not so much the pain of the withdrawal. It's when you try and quit by willpower, you, the pain of doing that is so intense because you don't know what is what you really don't understand the thinking process. Right. I mean, I can, I can, in a very simple, I can really make it simple. There's two reasons, basically, why people drink, right? You know, you can read the whole book. It's 375 pages and very good. But I'll tell you another secret, right? The two things, that reason that people are drink, one is they want a reward, and two is they want a relief, right? So it's reward or relief. Now, the thing that annoys me, and I've got to be careful because I don't want to denigrate any other, uh, you know, you know, quit-lit writers, um, but I, there's a fundamental misunderstanding about alcohol, and this is really important to me. And it makes everyone think that they're mad, um, I think. And it might be quite controversial. So this is my okay. controversial point, John. I right? love, I love it. Bear with me. Right? <laughs> okay, I will. Bear with me. <laughs> um, and that is that this is, everyone thinks of alcohol as a depressant because the medical profession I've been very vocal over the years and say this is chemically a depressant because of the they look at the brain and say these are the effects on the central nervous system it seems to be depressed so it's depressant well it's not you know I'm really sorry to shock all your listeners out there <laughs> who may be thinking I understand why I get a bit of a kick out of this stuff if it's such a depressant I'm like, you know, I've had, I've been having a good time, John. Um, it's been, it's been great. Um, so why, why are they all this talk about it being a depressant? Well, you know, actually, um, it, the, the technical term is it's a biphasic uh, stimulant and sedative. So a biphasic stimulant sedative, right? Now, what that means is there's a stimulant effect followed by a sedative effect. So there is. I, you know, I'm afraid to say you are going to feel a sense of pleasure when you get take drink alcohol. You definitely will, and anyone and you, we all know that. But <laughs> but if you read most of the quit lit books like I did for many years, and I think I've read most of them, they all say it's a depressant. It's not because then you then there wouldn't be any reason. I'm not getting a buzz. I'm not getting a high. You know, um, it's it's so so. Let's get that straight. You know, and I'll, if you want to, I'm not going to quote the chapter and verse, but you go and look at my book. You'll see, you'll see it. It's there. And if you don't believe me, it's, it's there's a whole chapter on it. Um, it's there. So it's a stimulant and sedative. And there's, there's this different phases. So this phase starts, I'm doing this to the camera. So people on the audio are going to go, what's he doing? Um, I'm showing like sort of a rising curve initially. So within the first sort of, you know, first hour of drinking, you're going to get this rising stimulant effect. But immediately coming after that, 
just as it's coming down, the stimulant effect, you're going to have a rising sedative effect. It's automatic. It's a bit like, you know, you, you bounce a, a ping pong ball on, a, on an elastic string with a bat and the ball comes back. That's exactly the same with, with alcohol. You're going to get this stimulant effect, but immediately after you're going to get a sedative effect. You can't have one without the other. And I, there's been studies on rats. There's been studies on humans. There's been studies um, on, on the, you know, the questionnaires with people. Uh, there's lots of, this is not, there's lots of research on this. They've actually measured the timing of this. Um, and you can see the graph in my book, etc. So my point is you are getting a pleasure from drinking alcohol. So you're not mad, you know, and I hope you find that really reassuring. Um, the problem is you're, you're also getting other adverse effects that are going to follow short-term and long-term. But your memory is affected, and so your actual, you know, the, the, you, you never think about the, 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 the sort of negative effects of drinking alcohol. So what I had to do was have a sort of, uh, you know, sort of a bit of a kind of search of the soul, really. Um, and... I mean, I, it, it, for me, hit, hitting rock bottom, um, what was, I didn't, I, you know, I, it was pretty bad. Um, that's why I'm struggling to kind of, um, you know, this was late in, my, in, in the evening of my life. And, um, and I started, things started to happen and um, it's like the world was falling down around me. Um, and, you know, it, and I couldn't make sense of it. I just couldn't work, work, work. Everything seemed to be going wrong. Everything with my um, relationship, with my work, um, you know, and I, I couldn't really make sense. Because I, I, when I look at it with my alcohol head on, I couldn't make sense of why would, why is it a problem to be moving every two years in a job? Because you're an international teacher. You can move every two years. It's perfectly natural. Actually, actually, that's what I've been doing for 20 years i've been moving every two years um is that you know then you can then you start looking at it more closely and saying hold on a second you know i can justify that for career reasons but is it always that way um you know so i'm you, when you start looking back you start seeing kind of patterns and you know i i think the trigger for me was um for quitting um, was I remember writing in my journal, um, uh, you know, I, my goal this year is just to stop drinking. And uh, I, I came back to that journal for some, I don't know what I was looking for, I don't know, some bill I had to pay. And I went back in the journal and I, I, I saw that and I was, I was almost just about to write the same thing because I'd had such a rough night the night before or whatever and my life seemed impossible to, to manage um and i saw the note saying you're going to quit and it was exactly a year later and i was just thinking oh god's sake mark you know what are you doing you know and it was just like oh, you know i just that was it so it was like i'm i know it's a cliche but it was like i'm sick and tired of being sick and tired and it's just it's too much you know um and i've got to get help and i've got to you know, you know, find a way out of this. Um, you know, I hate myself that much. So how did you get from that point of being desperate and needing help 
and getting help and in recovery. How'd you get from there to what you're doing now where you have this incredible um, uh, way of helping people? You know, you've written a book, you've got the, um, uh, what's it called again? I'm sorry, the alcohol, no, the addiction help agency. So how did all this come about? I mean, not everybody who gets into recovery does what you did. Not everybody writes a book and not everybody starts um, uh, a a therapy um, organization to help people. Yeah. Okay. So first of all, on a personal level, um, it was getting help. So you first of all need to kind of um, see what, you know, where you're at. Um, for some people, it, I, I'd say level one, if they say I need help, they'll start with bibliotherapy. So they'll start, okay, I'll get a book, get my book, but get a book, get, you know, that's a really good start to kind of read, try and read, try and find out as much as you can, um, about what's happening and, and what you're going through in your head. Um, and it's not what you think you think it's the outside circumstances causing you to drink. That's wrong. Okay. I don't care if you hate me that the truth is it's not what's outside you. That's the problem because I know I've been there. I've been thinking I need a drink so desperately because you know, God, I can't pay this. I can't pay that. Um, they're going to take this from me. They're going to take that. I've got no job. I've got this. I've done, I've been there. Right. I've been, you know, and I know what that is like. So I'm telling you, you're wrong. So if you think it's because of what's around you that you're drinking, I don't care what it is, if it's trauma or anything, that's nothing to do with that. The, 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 that, that might be another issue that we can talk about if there is trauma, um, because that is, that is something that can affect it. But what I'm saying to you is the real problem is how you're thinking at the moment. And it's what's going on inside your head, not what other people have done to you and not what is happening to you from other outside sources so it's in here now that's the first thing um so once i got better um then you've kind of there's this crazy thing john where you're elated you you know you absolutely feel crumbs i've recovered i and i do say recovered because i don't i'm a little bit different with the AA here and i'm going to be controversial again because i don't believe in in dead dating Okay, I think the 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 you know they they do this thing with um what's her name um if if someone's turned into a a lady from being a man um then they call it uh, do not mention her previous name because uh, that would be dead naming uh, okay okay I've not heard okay. that phrase before actually so so I call it dead dating okay I don't want to know how many days it was since you last had a drink. Right. I don't give a damn. OK, I don't care if it's 20 years, 30 years, one day. OK. Right. Because I don't need to remember, need to remember every day. Oh, the purpose of this day is since I last had a drink. Right. The drink is behind me. OK. I'm not interested in it. I am not interested in the slight of how many days it's been because it's just making my day fill up with thinking about drinking. I don't want to think about, it. you know, the Many people with the, the had a few issues with the AA. I think it's a wonderful organisation, so don't get me wrong. But but I had some issues, and that was one of them. You know, I used the um, you know, the countdown clock thing that you get the app that you get on your your laptop, and I found that really really it can put pressure on people. It can put pressure on people, and it's not really. Um, I, I although abstinence is important. It's not really um, always the gauge of one's recovery necessarily. You know, if you think about, and this is my opinion, and you might disagree, but if you think about recovery as being a process of change, 
then one might have a relapse. One might, one might have a have a little um, episode where they drink, but it doesn't mean that they aren't they can't still progress. And I think that the problem sometimes when you're counting the days is it creates this hierarchy where the people with the large number of days have a recovery that's somehow better than someone who has a lower number of days. And your recovery shouldn't be measured in the number of days. I think that, and, and I don't think you shouldn't compare it to anyone else's recovery anyway, but I, I don't know. I, I just seen too many people who feel if they have a relapse that they're somehow they've failed. No, that's absolutely right. Um, it, it, it was amazing. I got, I've got a, like a Facebook group. It's a public group called How to Stop Drinking Alcohol. And someone put on that site. Um, I've just, I've had three and a half, three years, and uh, three and a half years, well, I think it was three and a half years of, of sobriety. Ask me anything you want. <laughs> and, <laughs> you know, with a big... A lovely photo, actually, uh-huh. a very handsome man. Uh-huh. I must say, I mean, I've got to give him credit. Though. <laughs> he looked wonderful. But I just thought, you know, that's not really going to p- perhaps help the, the, the poor lady who's just posted, you know, please, I'm desperate for help. Yes. You right. know, and mm-hmm. I think, you know, this is sometimes it's not a competition, is it? No. Um, you know, I've got this many years or so I'm better than you for that. And, and actually, what's quite interesting about relapse, I think you're absolutely right. Um, by the way, is that, you know, it's how you interpret it. You know, is it a slip? Is it, is it something you can use to inform you? And so you can say, oh, right, you know, can, can I learn from that? Um, you know, remember that old, if, we, if, if we're getting onto techniques here, but the, the, the classic one is, you know, just make sure, get away. If you've had one drink, just get away from the situation. Whatever you're doing, just get away. I mean, these are old AA things. I used to go to AA as well. Um, so I'm very familiar with the program. Um, but yeah, the, 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 what's my point? The point is I don't believe in dead dating. Gotcha. I don't care how many days it's been. It's I just right. say, look, I agree with you, that. You focus on being positive, but the positive thing, and I think that's why I'm so happy to be here. And that's what I'm excited about. My message, my message is life is a lot better on the other side. It's not depressing. I'm having a great time. Like you said, I've written a book. I've started an agency. You don't have to do that, but I'm having a fantastic time. I've never been happier. And I honestly mean that. And you think when you're, um, you know, when you think when you're drinking, this is the highlight. And I, I mean, I, I'm not saying I didn't have some highlights, John. I mean, in, in those days, I mean, I, I could have been a bit crazy myself. Um, but it's, it's, it's not what I call kind of genuine happiness. It's not really about really feeling happy, um, you know, about, who I am, if you like, without trying to get, you know, spiritual about it. Um, and one of the important things about the book, and, I'm, and another thing I'm a big fan of your show for here, John, is is that you know it's 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 not um, religious based. So you're actually, and I think this is really important, and I've tried really hard in the book that I don't adopt. You know, you have to have a belief in a higher power, and I think one, part of my methodology is. Um, that's a big word, isn't it? Um, part of my method is actually um, it, is developing meditation. But I don't do that from a religious point of view. Um, and in fact, there's a fantastic um, book about the, something called the relaxation response, which is a secular way of meditating. 
um, and from a kind of scientific basis, and it's from the 60s. And I thought that was fascinating that, you know, someone had come across um, a way of doing it that wasn't Buddhist. Right, right, um, right. You know, because everyone thinks, oh, goodness me, I'm going to be chanting next. I mean, I chant, by the way, and, I, you know, um, I'm really into that kind of stuff as well. But in my book, I'm not. In my book, I'm very balanced about, look, this is a secular way of doing it. Yeah, I like that because it makes it, it it opens it up to everybody, whether you're religious or not. It should be a side issue. Like if I if I you know, and I can I can speak the language of the person who is spiritual and the person who only wants a practical solution. But it's best just to be able to meet someone where they are. So I totally respect somebody who wants to incorporate you know their religious beliefs or their spirituality into their recovery, but if you're going to communicate to you know a broad segment of people, then you want to use language that we all can understand, I think. Um, and sometimes the language of recovery can be, um, oh, it, it can seem somewhat mysterious and out of reach for someone who doesn't have that spiritual connection. So that's just my absolutely. thing. That's my well, thing. Well, no, absolutely. But, uh, you know, that's why, I, again, why I base my book on, 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 on cognitive behavioral therapy, because it's not sort of, it's not, we're not talking about, um, you know, Jungian therapy or psychoanalysis or humanistic or integrative, which could take many, many years. We're talking about a process that can be achieved in 10 to 12 weeks. Yeah, it's very practical stuff. Yeah, this, because it's, it's focusing on, on changing behavior. And it's very kind of objective, objective based. So this is what brings me onto the agency. Um, so during lockdown, I founded uh, the Addiction Help Agency. Mm, as during um, this, is, then, oh, how about that? I didn't know it was so recent. Yeah, it's very recent. Um, so it's only been going a year, um, but it's it's basically addictionhelp.agency. That's the web, but it's it's the, an online CBT course, basically for ten to twelve weeks. Um, and and basically it's 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 alcohol cessation so it's not do you want to drink or why it's it's about i want to quit i've decided that's it and it's that's the only thing we do we don't do um you know sort of one-to-one counseling and you know endless endless debate um for years and many years we're not into that what we're into is saying right what are the issues what are the things that challenges that are confronting you right now what are the ways you're thinking are you having any of these negative aut- automatic thoughts? I've got a way of, of, of memorizing the, the different types. And then are they indicative of intermediate beliefs, um, which are like intermediate rules, rules you have for doing things? And what would they be based on? They'd be based on core beliefs. So, you know, you can, there's different techniques you can use, and they're in the book, that you can use to kind of drill down to 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 find out what is the cause of the negative automatic thoughts you might be having what are they symptomatic of um and then going a layer down like a bit like an onion you know going a, a, a layer down in the onion and saying ah oh, does that relate to any rules i have for dealing with life that are very you know that in this situation i do that in this situation i do that and then what what are they symptomatic of in terms of underlying core beliefs which could be due to to do with your views of yourself your views of others and your views of the world so this is what we're trying to do is 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 to try and look at um what is behind your thinking 
So you're doing something that to you is totally rational and makes total sense. And I'm going to say to you, do you think that makes total sense? Because it doesn't make total sense to me. Well, I tell you, I really like your approach. And I, I think that the book, and I'm sorry I haven't read the entire thing, but the, the first three chapters were really, really well written. And it's not a dry... It's not a dry read where you're just confronted with a lot of science and data, although you get a lot of science and data, um, but it's it's really told in a story. It's told like um, you introduce this character who is about six years older than me, I mean, six years younger than me, and you talk about the times where he where he grew up and, and the influences of alcohol and how he learned about it. And anyway, it's just kind of interesting how you kind of take like a little mystery. You're trying to figure out why is this person poisoning himself? Why is this person poisoned himself with alcohol? But you do it, you really write in a very entertaining, engaging way that really draws someone in to want to read the next page in the next chapter. So it's that is really valuable for a book that's really designed to help people understand the science of what's going on with them, why they're, why they're addicted to alcohol. Oh, thank you so much, John. That's so kind of you to say that. Um, you know, I, it was a, it's a long, it's a blinking long book, um, but, but, but it's, it's, you know, it really is, it's, I'm trying to come from a good, well, hopefully coming from a good place and it is there to try and help. And I try to make it, I thought if I just put the facts, cold facts, who's going to read it? And I wouldn't read it. So it's trying to write the book that I would have read um, with a bit of an angle. You know, the mystery. You refer it. That's really nice how you refer it. it you know, that because I'm my name's Mark Holmes, right? You know, so when I was at school, I was everyone was calling me Sherlock. So, <laughs> so um, I thought, well, actually, I can use that. Um, I, I can actually be proud of that. Let's make it a mystery. Why would someone drink themselves to death? Let's make it a Sherlock Holmes investigation and, um, and follow them through their uh, trials and tribulations. And uh, I'm keeping a, a kind of objective um, viewpoint where, wherever possible. I think I might like to have you back on again sometime. Um, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to get your book and read it. And I know there's a lot more information in there that could uh, probably make for some more interesting conversations. So I uh, definitely want to keep in touch with you. Uh, you should do something with your YouTube channel too. Get on, get on YouTube, make some videos, uh, get, get, get out there and, uh, and do something with that too. I, I love YouTube. There's quite a, quite a, a recovery community on YouTube and a lot of good uh, resources and information out there. So I'm kind of a big YouTube fan. I'll do, oh yeah. I'd love to come back. And and that's very kind of you. And, um, yeah, it, 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 it's been a great pleasure talking to you, John. And, um, you know, I wish everyone good luck in their, their recovery and, uh, yeah. And you can find Mark at his website, addictionhelp.agency, or contact him at hello at addictionhelp.agency. But I just go to the website, addictionhelp.agency, and uh, you can find all the information about the book, about uh, the, um, the therapy that's available there. And uh, I, think it's, I think it's great. So um, I feel comfortable uh, recommending that you check it out. That's another episode of Beyond Belief Sobriety. Thank you for listening. 
If you'd like to support our podcast with recurring monthly contributions, head on over to patreon.com slash beyondbeliefsobriety or become a member of our YouTube channel. If you'd like to make a one-time contribution, then visit our website beyondbeliefsobriety.com and click on the donate button. I do appreciate your support. Thanks again for listening. We'll be back again real soon with another episode of Beyond Belief Sobriety.